You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the all-new Razor Guide Pack from Outdoor Edge has it all. Coming in at only 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. Mic check, one, two, three, here we go, woo! By the time you guys hear this, I will be balls deep in South Dakota. I don't know where I'll be, probably up on top of something, glassing something or putting a stock on something, hopefully. Or I could just be doing what I usually do, and that's just walking around aimlessly uh, with no clue on how to go kill a mule deer. But that's the goal anyway. So when you hear this, just know I'm working hard to try to kill a mule deer. Right now... Let's see, it is that October lull period, right? That every, like you, you, you hear the October lull, the October lull. Um, and I do apologize um, when I say this, but F the October lull right in the B hole. That's almost, that almost rhymes a little bit, but um, deer, deer are still moving, right? They may not be moving tr- like where you think they're moving. So what do you got to do? You got to be mobile. You got to go find them, blah, blah, blah. I say the same shit all the time. Go make it happen and uh, go look for fresh sign um, because they just don't disappear. They don't just stop and stand in one spot and don't move for a week, right? Go find them. That's what you have to do. Move your trail cameras. Move your tree stands. Um, go sit on a bucket in a fence row. Uh, go scouting. Go, you know, whatever you need to do, go do it. Because that's how you go find deer this time of year. And because, like my friend Tony Peterson says, this time of year, a lot of people aren't even in the woods anyway. You can find a little gap to where you can make a, probably an aggressive move and go get the job done on, uh, on a good deer. So that's what I'm suggesting you guys do. 
Don't take any advice from me, though. I'm not good at anything, really. So <laughs> so good luck out there during the October lull, and uh, hopefully you guys uh, get out there and make it happen because, uh, God forbid, anybody, I don't know, go out and hunt this time of year. Now, with that said, we all know that the best time of year is coming up, so I understand if you're not out there, you're saving your brownie points, you're saving your vacation, but... Uh, that's what we are uh that's what's that's what's going on is what i'm getting at that's uh love is blind is what i'm getting at anyway (laughs) uh lots of coffee this morning so that's why i'm all over the place but we do have a really good episode today uh we're going to be talking with a bow hunter from michigan who hunts i I believe mid michigan down in the lower peninsula and he doubled up on opening day and that's what today's podcast is about right he talks about the terrain that these deer were living in he talks about the the bed to food pattern that he identified throughout the years of hunting this and uh they talk about the wind direction how he thought he may have blown the whole opportunity walking into the woods but then it all kind of worked out in the end, and uh, he, he made two shots on two deer. One was not ideal, but the other one dropped him in a heartbeat. And uh, so this is a really cool, fun episode where a guy walks into the woods expecting, you know, one thing to happen, but something completely else uh, different happens. And so I like hearing stories like this from guys who are passionate about it. And uh, he's getting out there and getting the job done and tagging out on opening day. So a really good episode. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. Before we get into today's episode though, huge shout out to some of the brands that uh, make this happen, right? This is no, it's no, nothing funny. I have to sell advertisement on this to make money. And that what, that is what allows me to run my business, right? So it's just business. But I do, when I say that, I really do believe in the products and, and the companies that I work with. And so that makes it, you know, that makes it much easier. If you're looking for a saddle, don't look any further than Tethered. Not only do they have very high quality uh, saddles, climbing sticks, saddle accessories, but they also have a plethora of information on how to properly use Tethered Saddles. So go check out Tethered Saddles, um, a really awesome uh, community that they've grown there. So, uh, and, and that's what I liked. That's one thing I really like working with uh, some of these companies is, is the community, right? So... Tethered has this awesome community full of serious saddle hunters and serious hunters in general. And uh, so go check out all their their products and their information. Second, that is uh, Metallica, if you didn't know my sweet riffs there. And the reason I play Metallica is for wasp broadheads. Please go check out wasparchery.com. I have a discount code S, uh, no, NFC20 for 20% off, right? And so if you're looking for an absolute monster of a broadhead, uh, I am a huge fan of Wasp in general, but two two blades or two, uh, two heads that really stick out to me of theirs, and that is the jackhammer. I've killed more deer with a jackhammer throughout the years than any other broadheads combined right so i slay with the jackhammer and then i've also in the past if you're looking for a fixed blade option i'm i'm gonna point you into the boss four blade and those two heads right there are built from 
both built from awesome designs and both built from the most quality material possible. And you take design and you take, uh, you take design and you take material and you put them together, you get one hell of a head and a majority of the wasp heads are made in the United States. So that's a win there as well. So wasparchery.com, remember to use the discount code hunt stand, man, they just have come out with a pro whitetail upgrade. I believe they call it. And they have new mapping uh, features like uh, like new satellite imagery. They have some uh, deer, like a predictive deer model. They have a, a rut map indicator, and and then they have a crop. Uh, it's like a crop rotation map too. So this is if if you're a whitetail nut and you love you already love hunt stand, go get this upgrade, and it just adds more functionality to a platform that already has a ton of really good uh functionality and it's affordable right so i believe that what that pro whitetail upgrade is like 70 bucks or 16 you know 69.99 to upgrade to it and uh that's a win right there so um go check out that those new features from hunt stand and then last but not least vortex optics the people at vortex i mean let's not get it twisted they make some awesome optics spotting scopes range finders binoculars red dots rifle scopes they make an awesome product with that said the support behind the products is second to none in the the firearm and hunting industry right even if you love to watch birds their vip warranty really is what puts them above everybody else and so if you break it it's destroyed uh you run over it with your lawnmower you get mad and smash it you put it in a box you send it to them they try to fix it if they can't fix it they will replace it for free because their end goal is to have lifelong customers right and that's how they try to get their lifelong customers on top of that they have an, an absolutely badass apparel brand and uh i did i have like let me see what i'm wearing i'm not wearing one right now but i have like 13 vortex t-shirts and so everywhere i go it's vortex and so that's one hell of a way to uh promote the brand and it's a good brand to promote because they the, that brand has the same values that i have and so i really i really love uh the guys over there at vortex and the products vortex offers so vortexoptics.com all right so here's the deal i am done i'm done with the commercials let's get into this doubling up on opening day episode with kevin flurry three two one all right on the phone all the way from michigan mr kevin flurry kevin how we doing man really good how about you I'm doing all right. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, it's that time of year where, like, right now I'm just thinking about pre-rut. I'm not, like, this time of year, this this mid-October time frame doesn't get me uh, that fired up. But, I'm, like, my mind is focused. I have one more out-of-state trip before uh, I start hunting Iowa hard. So I have that this, this upcoming week. And then that takes me into the pre-rut, which will... That's when I'll start making moves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds to me like you don't have very many moves to make the rest of the season. I have no more moves to make, but that's all I can think about. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tagging out early is kind of a double-edged sword. It's awesome, but at the same time, like, I don't know. Like, I, I love the rut, and and so that's why I like to hunt it. Yeah, I uh, 
I mean, I love it so much. I actually just went and set a set uh, to hunt with my dad. Oh, uh, nice. You know, first week of November, second week of November. Perfect. So Perfect. I get I get a little action at least. Yeah, that's good. All right. So before we get into the meat and potatoes uh, of today, why don't you talk to us a little bit about where you live and what do you do for a living? Uh, I actually live uh, downtown Detroit, and uh, I'm an electrical apprentice. Okay. Got a couple, couple years left till I top out with that, and then um, yeah, I've been hunting here in Michigan my whole life and just switched over to strictly public land um about six years ago okay nice so downtown Detroit yeah right yeah. like <laughs> other than it being in Michigan when I think of downtown Detroit if someone said okay Dan downtown Detroit what's the first thing that comes to your mind it's not deer hunting for some reason. No. You'd be shocked. There, there's a lot of there's a lot of deer and pheasants down there though. <laughs> yeah. Um so one thing though that I heard about Detroit was there are like whole neighborhoods that are abandoned. Is that true? Uh yeah, absolutely. Definitely in like the outskirts. So Detroit's a really, really big city. Yeah. Um so in the outskirts of Detroit there's I mean, you can go blocks where it's just there's nothing like they mowed all the houses down and it's just overgrown fields yeah so in some cases like I, i'm sure like raccoons and possums and, and things like that have moved into those areas have deer also moved into those areas uh there's some deer there's a ton of pheasants we they and these pheasants get so big we call them urban turkeys no doubt about it yeah, <laughs> that's that's crazy, and that's one animal in North America that has been struggling in recent years. So it's good that in the abandoned neighborhoods of Detroit, pheasants are flourishing. Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, I've heard of guys that take their dogs down there to train them, just to train them. Shockingly, yeah, just to get them on a lot of points and all that. But man, that's you know, cool. who knows that's what they're running into. That's crazy. And so is the electrical world something that you're just like, is this something brand new or is this like a second career choice for you? Um, This is kind of a second career choice. So I've worked for the same company uh, straight out of high school. I've been, uh, it's rather the union, the IBEW. I've been in that since, since I was 18, but just took a different career path and trying to become an electrician. What were you doing before that? Yeah. Uh, so I was a, a laborer at first, and I was a heavy equipment operator, like operating excavators and stuff for uh, doing utilities. Yeah. So like street lighting and stuff like that. I gotcha. Wind farms. So, so digging a lot of trenches and electrical lines and things like that? Yep. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, and some of that stuff, I didn't realize some of the technology that's involved in some of the bigger equipment and how... I don't know, like a, a piece of equipment the size of a house damn near can level a, you know, can the operator along with the electronics within that machine can level ground or dig a depth just like to the centimeter that's necessary oh, yeah. for watershed and things like that. So I find that really impressive. Yes. Yeah, I've never... Like we've used like story poles with um like lasers and stuff like that, but uh I've never got the use the dozers with the GPS and all yeah. that crap on. But yeah. It was a little fancy for me, but I'd probably figure it out. Yeah. Man, that's <laughs> I tell you what, uh 
the working man, well, I don't know how to say this, but the working man throughout the years with technology, make their jobs get better from this point. Like, you know, they used to say, oh, you know, the world needs ditch diggers too. Well, back in the day yeah. when that, oh, yeah. when, you know, when, when the ditch digger was actually digging a ditch, it was with a shovel or maybe a team of horses. Now yeah. they, you know, they have the bulldozers and the backhoes and things like that. So it, it's, uh, it's not the same as it was. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times, uh, my uncle told me the world needs ditch diggers too, you know, whenever I had a bad day and I'm like, yeah. damn you. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, let me ask you a, a question here with the, the union that you're a part of, are, are you working within the same company that yep. same company? Okay. So you've been in this, in this, in this company for a while, it's unionized. Are you getting a good amount of vacation every year to uh, get out and do some hunting? Um, so the way our vacation works, we don't get paid time off, but like the thing is you can, you can take as much time off as you want. So like, like during the rut, I see, you know, there's a cold front coming up like two days before tell the boss, you know, I may or may not be in tomorrow, whatever. And then play by ear. And that's, that's kind of how it works. And I mean, you know, if you work hard and your foreman likes you like that's not it's not a big deal taking any time off at all like yeah. usually they don't even ask oh that's so there's it's not one of those these scenarios where a job depends on you and there's nobody there that's going to like i don't know there there's going to be somebody there to pick up where you left off um yeah i mean not necessarily so if i like took off all of november which i could but that wouldn't work out well for me. I'd probably end up at a different company or riding the book, which isn't that big of a deal, but I like the company I'm in at. So they, they treat me really well. So, um, yeah, it's usually not that big of a deal though. Gotcha. Well, that's good. So you can, you can take the time away from work, whether it's for family or for fun, uh, either way. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So you sent me this Instagram message. And the Instagram message pretty much just said opening night, Michigan doubled up, two tags filled. And so I want to break down that entire hunt uh, for you. And so the first thing that I kind of want to get into with this with this particular hunt is the property, the the piece of public land that you were hunting. Is this a piece of uh, property that you were familiar with is it relatively new to you how long have you been hunting that area so i've been hunting this area for about six years this is i actually lived up there before i moved to detroit i've lived in detroit for like two years now okay but i moved up there and um you know i had a bunch of really small um properties that i could hunt with buddies and there i was lucky enough that they let me hunt with them and uh, I seen this public prop, public land next to my house, so I went and checked it out. And I think the first place I looked, I kicked up a real nice eight point. And I was like, oh, like this looks sweet. And it's like 6,000 acres. And I'm like, so I, ever since then, I've just only been hunting public. Nice. And it's, it's all river bottom and ridges, you, a lot of diversity there too. Yeah. So that's piece. So river bottom ground, um, is, is it mixed with ag at all? Uh, talk to us a little bit about the, the, the terrain breakdown. 
So there are there are some ag fields that are private uh, all around it, but there's also the DNR here has done. They have clover fields. They're they're all really overgrown, but there's still a lot of clover in them that the deer eat a lot. But you know that's about it. It's most all the egg though is private. Gotcha. Um, but obviously, a deer doesn't know the difference between private and yeah. and and public. So when you're hunting on this piece, does the ag impact the deer movement? Is it close enough for that? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Okay. Yeah, if there's a you know if they put a lot of corn up i I definitely see an impact gotcha so you've known about this place you've been hunting it uh for about six years now um talk to us a little bit about how the deer what you've identified how the deer move through the terrain from from said bed to feed pattern um so in this early season or in the beginning of the season i guess you'd call it uh they typically stay down by the river and um they'll close to water and then they'll work off it depends if there's a lot of acorns too like what if they're going to go to the clover fields or the you know the egg but uh a lot of times they're i'm finding them bedding down low near the river and then later as the year goes on they kind of move up okay now is the is the egg and the the private crops is that on, that's off the public. So is, are they moving up in elevation or down in elevation? They'd be moving up. Uh, moving up, yes. Yeah, so I'm assuming the river's lower. <laughs> so yeah. um, so they're, they're moving, you know, they're moving up away. All right. So over the years of hunting, um, how long would you say it took you to figure this property out through hunting, through scouting in order to get a, get that idea and say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in the position that I need to be, to be successful. You know, I'd say last year hunting, hunting the rut. Um, I, I finally think I figured it out. I think there's a, there's probably a half dozen spots in this public land that I think hold mature bucks. And, um, last year, I think I finally got it all dialed in like throughout the entire season and this spot that i killed both these bucks and i've had a lot of history in i've actually missed the same nine pointer two years in a row oh <laughs> that's brutal but yeah yeah so i i'm very confident in that property now okay all right so if i was to go in and and sit in this tree or put trail cameras out and start to get a good you know uh, collect data on this property uh talk to us about what we would see uh talk to us about the caliber of bucks talk to us about the age class the the sex ratio and so on you know um a lot of younger bucks that's for sure and a, a lot of does you probably see a lot of people on your trail cameras too yep. <laughs> and uh it's it's heavily heavily pressured but there there are mature bucks out there you just gotta you gotta work for them and you gotta find them Yep. And then what about the ratio? Oh, um, are you seeing a ton of does? Not, not like a ton of does. I'd say it's pretty even actually pretty close. Gotcha. Not, not necessarily a low number of deer and not necessarily a really high number of deer. Yeah. Okay. Correct. So just a, uh, run of the mill, uh, place now, 
you found a spot, you know, through scouting, through hunting and, and figuring it out where you've, you know, you found success. How does that pressure have that heavy pressure affect the deer movement on that property? I mean, a lot of the times you like later into the season, I can kind of, I think the more dialed in I get later in the season because they, they get pushing those, you know, hard to reach pockets of, uh, you know, where the good bedding areas are at that are, you know, way back there. I mean, it could be even closer, but you gotta, I kind of just go off of where people are Mm -hmm. and I talk to a lot of people too. And, you know, there, there are a handful of guys out there that, uh, you know, they go all out, they go way back that they're going to work for it. But most of the guys out there are just, they're, you know, they're not going to go more than a half mile. And that's, that pushes the deer into certain areas that I think is, gives me an advantage. Okay. So is it you going past that half mile or is it you having a better access route to flank the other hunters in the pressure? Um, I think it could be both that mainly the access routes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Talk to us about the access route to, you know, how you access these locations as to a not being because I always I always have this conversation with people where they're like oh there's so much hunting pressure but then I I remind myself and I remind others that we are also hunting pressure like everybody always seems to forget that they're part of the hunting pressure which we are all hunting pressure and so when when some people only go in a half mile and you you say hey access is really important how are you accessing these spots, minimizing your pressure, but also taking advantage of the pressure from these other hunters? So I think a lot of it has to do with knowing where the bedding areas are. Yeah. Having a good idea of that and then working around that. And a lot of the guys, I think they just kind of go out and they're like, oh, you know, I'm going to set up on the point of this ridge or, you know, look over the whole bottom here on the point of this ridge where... I'm either kayaking back or I can walk the river back. And then if it's shallow enough, I can walk across it, you know, with some hip waders. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so, um, as you started to do this, like the first, cause a lot of people, they, they have it in their head. And I, I was this way as well, where they say, man, I need to walk this river or I need to kayak or I need to like take a big half mile loop back in before you know and not walk a straight line but it's the mental like just doing it the first time when you did do it the first time did you see instant results or is this something that took some time um the first time i did i seen deer but i I never seen mature deer you know it took me a little bit to figure that part out but i did find that when i started running and gunning you know, I, I mean, I learned a lot. Like the first time I took a canoe back, you know, the water was not deep enough and I almost fell out of the boat a few times. And I've actually seen guys doing that same thing. And I kind of chuckle like, man, I was there because yeah. you can see they're soaking wet because they got out from, to push the canoe Yeah, where when it's like that, you can just walk and then cross and, and it's way easier, but right. yeah. Okay. And, and so, uh, not necessarily 
right away you didn't see the initial benefit of doing that but over time did you see the benefit of now what what were you doing were you getting were you getting behind the deer or were you still in front of them uh like in between them and the pressure the other hunters or were you behind them because of this water access uh a little bit of both mainly like when i was starting out i was being I was getting behind them and now I'm now currently I'm getting in between them. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so it, how long did it take you to figure, figure all that out? So once you, once you identified that you had a new access route in there, how you micro adjusted to getting in between the deer and not being behind them. So that's probably the part that I struggled with most. Uh, you know, finding that spot within a spot. Right. And, but I just, I learned from my mistakes and watching deer, of course. And, um, yeah, that's basically how I do it. And that, I mean, that took me a while, you know, the run and gun thing. It's, it sounds awesome, but it, I mean, it's a whole new part of hunting that I had to learn. Yeah. And it's, I love it. I'm obsessed with it now and it's awesome, but it takes a lot of time. Oh yeah. I mean, and, and it, it can be frustrating at times. So, and I'll just, I love the run and gun aspect. I love being into a fresh set, um, and, and having the wind and thermals and all that stuff work well for you. The issue is, is, uh, this last Friday, uh, it would have been Friday night this past Friday night. I went and sat up in a really thick fence row and the tree Mm -hmm. wasn't huge. And it was, so that meant all the stem count was low to the ground. And I was just making a shit ton of noise. I was sweating. I had, I could only get three sticks high. And then I got the, I got the stand in there, but it was kind of awkward. And, and so, uh, I just, those suck. But when you get up in there and then the deer don't have a clue you're there, man, that's so worth it. Yep. Yep. That's something similar to what I had, uh, this year on opening day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you, you identified these spots leading up to this upcoming season, you know, this, this season, did you do anything special or different or scout off season or hang more trail cameras or things like that leading up to this season? So every spring I always scout, I probably, you know, I, I go to a lot of different areas too. This, this spot, this area I know very well. So I won't spend this. I don't, you know, I might spend a day just trying to dial in the spots that I have. Right. Maybe like more so specifically searching out a, a tree to the exact tree I need to be in. Right. Uh, so I think last spring I was only there once and I actually went to this spot, uh, that I hunted on opening day. And that's what I was looking at gotcha okay so you had this spot picked out since this past spring yep okay any trail camera data that you gathered before the season started uh i don't i don't run any trail cameras ever since i stopped hunting private i don't run any but i i might dabble into it next year i'm really debating on it yeah so so then not having trail cameras, obviously you don't know what kind of caliber of deer other than what you see previous years. Mm-hmm. What were you trying to accomplish 
this season as far as, and let's just talk about Bucks. What, in your opinion, was your goal this year for, uh, you know, for deer hunting? Uh, so I definitely wanted something like a Pope and young buck or, um, I always try to shoot something bigger in my last year. And, um, that eight pointer I shot, that was the last year I shot. It's right around the exact same size. I've actually got a handful of them like that, but that was the goal. And it was also, I haven't shot a, I haven't shot a buck since 2016 and I haven't shot a year with archery equipment in two years so i was i was itching and it was uh i was going through some mental stuff with it too and i just i just needed to kill something so that that day if there wasn't bucks moving through there i was taking the first doe i seen right so you were you were just feeling like a savage and you're like something oh, yeah. something's gotta die i gotcha yeah i, gotcha. I, I needed to get I need to get my balls back basically. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I feel you. I feel you. So a m- majority of your time, like you didn't kill a buck since 2016. Was that with that 2016? Was that with archery tackle or was that with a gun? Yep. That was, that was with archery. Okay. Uh, November 12th, I believe. Okay. So you were in a little bit of a drought as far as killing a buck with um, archery equipment, is that because you weren't archery hunting or is that because nothing of the caliber you wanted came by? So I was actually hunting way more because I, you know, I fell in love with what I was, the type of hunting I was doing, but uh, just, you know, some poor shots. Um, I missed, like I said earlier, I missed that same nine pointer two years in a row on opening day. Uh, both just mental mistakes. It was, it was kind of like whenever I got drawn back on a deer, I was just like fog. Like I couldn't Blacking think out. properly. Yeah. Yeah. And it drove me absolutely wild. Then last year I, uh, hit a eight point high in the dead zone in no man's land. Yeah. So it's, that's what I was really focused on. I was like, I am just going to get dialed in. Cause I, I used to be, you know, a killer with a bow. I just, you know, anything that came in, it was like, all right, like dead focus, concentrated. And that's what I wanted to get back to. Yeah. And so what did you do in the off season to really, like you said, focus on that and become that killer again? So the last two years, I really, really focused, in practice uh working on my form for shooting because i i noticed that was and i also added a a kisser button on my bow this year that i haven't ran in a long time so i think that helped a lot i think i need to add a nose button too and just because it's uh something physical something you don't have to mentally think of and then just to make sure i'm anchored in the same spot every time but yeah, definitely uh, practice and working on that form. Gotcha. All right. So, uh, and did you, before the season started, you know, I, I have a, I, I am guilty of not shooting all year long, uh, all year round. Okay. I admit that. So it takes me some time to get back into the swing of things once I pick my bow back up in the spring and start shooting again. So, as I start to shoot, um, you know, I go through 
okay days, good days, but then I have a couple days in a row where I'm just on and I feel dangerous, right? And so mm-hmm. I, I feel good about my shot. Did you did you work your way up to that point where you're just like, I feel sorry for a deer if he walks out in front of me now? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm the same way as you. Uh, I don't shoot a lot all year. I, my, I'd say my flaw is I, I have way too many hobbies and I love golf. So it's like the bow gets put away until about August and then, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but yeah, I actually, and I also dialed back my range. Like I'm not shooting a deer past 35 yards where before, like before I used to practice at 80 yards, my warm up shots were 40, but I, I don't even think I can shoot 80 yards now, but anything 50 and in, I'm very comfortable shooting at a target. Yeah. So I was, I was dialed in for the year for sure. Well, good, good. All right. So, uh, opening season comes, you had a good idea. Was this a run and gun into that spot? Was it a morning hunt? Was it an afternoon hunt? How did it like walk us from the time you left your truck into the timber? So all week I knew I was hunting this spot in the afternoon with the northeast wind. Um, before when I missed that same nine point, I I was about a hundred yards away from where I ended up killing these two deer. And where I was at, there's no spot to put in a tree up my uh, saddle, my saddle platform. There's nowhere, so it was all sitting on the ground, actually in a drainage ditch. So this year it was windy. It was like 15, 20 mile per hour wind. So I'm like, I'm moving in. And I knew the access route perfectly. So I actually walked, I walked along the river all the way back and I actually had lunch because I hunted in the morning, scouted all day. I actually had lunch sitting on the bank and just observing the wind. Cause a lot of times in those river bottoms, the wind will swirl. Right. And I've actually struggled trying to find consistent winds to hunt them. And I sat down there for about a half hour and it was just perfect wind the whole time. So I, I knew I was going to be good. Nice. So, so you ate lunch on the riverbank before you went into where you're, you were going to hang your tree stand. Yep. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. And so on the way in any sign that indicated that there were, there were bucks in the area. Uh, nope. So on my way in, I actually, I, I, I'm on the opposite side of the river and I walk the river about maybe a quarter mile back and I actually loop way up and around. So I don't get near the, uh, any bedding areas or anything like that. Cause a lot of, um, bed, uh, right near the river. So I don't want to be anywhere near them. So I'd climb up a ridge and then walk way around and then go back down. Oh, okay. So you're almost J hooking back into the, the location where you're going to hunt. Yep. yep. Okay. And yep. I do that cause I, the first year I tried hunting and I kicked up two big eight points. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So you, you get in there and was it, I mean, you said you had high winds, right? Yeah. And that's always a, that's always a huge plus, right? You can be, you don't have to, you're not as nervous. Like when I have high winds, I, I'm, I actually feel more comfortable walking in. It's not, you know, crunching every little stick and, and, and making a whole bunch of noise. 
did you get up in the tree okay? Any problems? Any like first first hunt of the year snafus that you had to deal with? Honestly, it couldn't have gone any better. It took me. I took my time. I was there. I was there pretty early. Um, I mean, to go the last the last sixty seventy yards probably took me forty five minutes to an hour and I was and I was walking in a drainage ditch so I just wait for the wind you know to move and then I would move and I just stop and it wasn't like a set trail like I was walking through the grass and brush so I took my time and then uh, the setup was great um, yeah I was only three sticks high and found a good tree tree had a little uh, bottleneck in it so it wasn't very comfortable to sit in um, but it was a tree to be in. Nice. Okay. All right. So, uh, w- what time of day were you a one hundred percent up, sitting in the tree, actually hunting? So I was ready to roll at four thirty. Four thirty. Okay. It's four thirty. How long until you started seeing deer movement? So I actually seen the first deer at five thirty. I was, like I said earlier, I was scouting all day, and my legs were cramping up, so I was. And the way I had my, I was situated in the tree, there wasn't a extremely comfortable spot where I could get the pressure off my legs. So I was actually just sitting in my saddle with straddling the uh, tree. Right. And, um, I was actually watching some turkeys in front of me and I heard a deer cough right behind me. And I, I turned around, there's, there's a, a pretty decent eight point and I actually grabbed my bow, got to full draw on him. And he was about 30 yards away. And then. I needed him to walk down this drainage ditch and then I could have shot him right at the bottom of it. But instead of doing that, he just, he jumped all the way across it and then out of my shooting lane. And I also watched, uh, right when he did that, a six point came out of his bed. And I mean, it was, I got lucky. He was only 40 yards away. I don't know if this deer was just turned a different angle. He would have seen me climbing up the tree for sure. Gotcha. So, so there was another deer, bedded down that you didn't even see until you took the first shot uh no so i was just full draw on the a point i did not shoot at it okay as soon as he jumped over the river the other one i watched the other one get up out of its bed a small a smaller six point i got you so you ended up not uh putting an arrow towards any of these deer nope okay all right so at least the deer are in the area right uh which is a good feeling did you feel like they busted out of there to the point where you're like, ah, I'm screwed. The hunt's over. Or was it just kind of a, did, did the wind save you? Like the high wind save you? They had no clue. I was even there. Gotcha. Uh, I think they were actually both bedded right next to each other. And, um, they, they got up and they were like, they were on a mission. I think they were going to the, I think they were eating clover. So I, they were on a mission going to those fields. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Um, good. But regardless, it's good to see the deer. It's good to have them within shooting range. How long until the next set of deer started showing up? So the next one came in, that was at five. It was six thirty. Uh, in the tree I was in where I believed all the deer were bedding where I thought the majority of them would be. I have like, like a screen of leaves and trees in front of me. So it's when, once I see them, they're right on top of me and I heard a branch snap and I, I was ready to go. And then I I was looking around my, 
a tree in front of me and I could see the hind quarter of this deer and I, and its head went back and I could see he had a real wide rack and it was the wide nine that I shot and uh, he was already within 25 yards. So you couldn't see him until he was, I mean, when did, how, how far out was he when you initially saw him? He was 25 yards. Okay, 25. So he yeah. was right on yeah. top of you. So it was it's fairly thick where you were hanging up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So um, he shows up. Was it like a, oh, shit, grab my bow, get stood up? Or did you have time to settle yourself, time for him to walk through? Or was it a quick? Um, I'd say by the time I – it was probably about a minute from the time I see him to the time I shot, but I was able to take my time, get my bow. I already practiced drawing right on the trail he was going for. And uh, the trail was perfect, quartering away, like a slight quartering away. And um, he was walking through just like those other two bucks, like kind of on a mission, actually. I, I thought I let him go through my first shooting lane thinking I could just let him stop on his own so I could shoot him, but I ended up having to stop him at uh, 21 yards. Uh, and then, uh, and the shot went. How'd the shot go? Uh, perfect shot, right, right in the heart. And I, I thought the arrow went right through him, but I could not. I he perfect shot. It looked like it was right in the heart, and he dropped down. His chest was almost touching the ground, and he bolted, just crashing through. I thought he took a trail, and then I heard him crashing. Right. And um, I listened for a while, and I got my binoculars up, looked for that arrow, because I thought I went right through him, but I could not find it with my binoculars. Gotcha. Okay. All right, so that happens. Um, now, no one, like for me, I, I, I guess I've never thought about this because I don't have two tags, like, like two buck tags I could use. Yeah. Did you say to yourself, I'm just going to sit here and wait there might be another buck that comes through or were you like, Hey, I got to get down and go track this thing. So I texted my dad my wife and I actually I put on another arrow. Cause I've actually almost doubled up two other times during the rut. Right. So it's like instinct to me. I like put another arrow on. Like if I'm going to be sitting here, like you, you got to be ready just in case. Right. Right. And so, um, what time was this at this point? That was at 6.30 when I shot the wide nine. Okay, so plenty of time left, uh, plenty of time left to for more deer to come through. Was it a fairly quick encounter? And what I mean by that is after you let the arrow go, you hit the deer, There, there's obviously some cracking when, or, you know, some disturbance as the deer's running away. You're shot, the deer runs away. Did it calm down again fairly quickly after that? Uh, yeah, actually, and when that when that buck took off, I heard another deer behind him run back towards the bedding, not run. It, it sounded like he just bounded a couple times. Yeah. All right. And so you said to yourself, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to knock another arrow. This has almost happened before. What happens next? So I'm sitting there, you know, I'm texting my dad, my wife, and you know, a bunch of my buddies. And I'm, you know, right after all the fist pumps, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm looking through the leaves, like kind of where I seen that, the buck that the first time. And, uh, I could just see a face staring right at the base of my tree about 50 yards away. Okay. 
And uh, so I got my binoculars up and I could just see about half of its rack. And I could see it was like a decent size eight point. I couldn't tell how big it was. And then it just sat there dead still for 10 minutes straight. And and then you were still in the tree at this point? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Okay. All right. But you saw something, put your binos on it. It didn't move. uh, And so... Uh, were, was it getting crunch time at this point? Like, was the sun starting to, you know, was light starting to fade or did you have plenty of time yet? Nope. There's still plenty of time. This is probably, probably about 10 minutes after the shot. Got you. Okay. All right. 10 minutes after the shot, another, another deer shows up. Then what happened? And he is just staring right at the base of my tree and he sat there for 10 minutes. He walked walked up another 10 yards and stopped. And I thought he was going to circle downwind to me. And at this point I got to look at him. And I thought he was a pretty good eight point. And I'm, I told myself if he's bigger than my, my, the one I shot in 2016 and he gives me a perfect shot, I'm going to take it. Okay. And he sat there and sat there and I actually thought he was going to circle downwind to me. So I was set up on a trail for that, but he ended up just sitting there for, 15 20 minutes and then he slowly started to come through right on the same trail that i shot the nine point oh and and was what was the was this buck equal bigger smaller than the buck you had just shot uh he was smaller smaller okay so was this was this deer uh, although smaller was it still a deer that you would consider a shooter or was this more of a man, I want to double up in one day. Um, you know, I was debating it the whole time he was coming in and I really wanted to double up and I knew he was really close to being, if the deer, the first year I shot was dead, this deer was real close to being the second biggest deer I've ever shot. Okay. So I decided, I decided once I got a decent look at him, I'm, I figured once he came in, I could see him with the naked eye. I'd make my decision then. Okay. All right. And so as he starts to make his way down this trail, was he going to offer you the, offer you the same quartering away shot that the first buck did? Uh, yes. And did he, did he stay true to that course? He stayed true to that course. He was extremely cautious. So he would take two steps, stop, look, take two steps, stop, look. And he actually, when he was coming into my shooting lane, I took the first opportunity I had at him. And, uh, you know, this deer had me more worked up than the, uh, than the wide nine point. Actually, I think it was just cause it was, I don't know, more of a stressful situation. I don't know what it was, but I was jacked up. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and so you, you had a little bit of buck fever coming into this second shot. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. For, oh, for sure. That's normal. That's normal. <laughs> and so, how did the, you know, how did the second shot go? Awful. <laughs> the, the worst, worst shot I had with my bow this year, for oh, sure. Dang. So did, did you straight miss or did you just hit him wrong? No, nah, I, I hit him uh, right in the liver. Okay. Just, That's not and, too bad. Uh, it's not too bad, but I was extremely disappointed because I only wanted a perfect shot and what happened was is I didn't line up my peep correctly, and it was, I mean, it was a foot of where I was aiming. It was awful. But 
And when I did it, when I hit the deer, I looked up in disgust. I was just no way. Yeah. And then, uh, that's, that's the first, I, when I miss deer or I typically am either high or low or, you know, I've shouldered a deer, I think once or twice, but that's typically my miss. I never miss back. So I was, I wasn't too happy about it, Yeah, but I knew he was going to die. I knew it was a dead deer. Right. So let me ask you this. Uh, well, it's not really a question. It's more of a comment. And like, man, I feel like liver shots are deadly. I mean, I've, so when you double lung a buck or a deer, they'll run and they'll go. But when, when I've done liver hits before on deer, they'll just hunch up, like slowly walk away and then fall over dead. Like the, I feel like with liver hits and I'm not condoning like aim for the liver, even though I feel it's a deadly shot, uh, they, the the track jobs are much, much, much shorter if they're not spooked, right? And, and I'm talking about deer that are not spooked when you when you make the shot go down. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I've, I've helped buddies track some liver shot deer and found that same exact thing. And actually, when I, when I came to full draw on this deer, I watched it just completely settle down. It was like he calmed right down. He put his head, he started acting normal but right before i made the shot so when i hit him you know i looked up in disgust but when i started watching him he bounded 10 yards and flicker in his tail and he just slowly walked away and i was had my binoculars on him and i could i was watching the blood pour out and i was i was actually shocked on the amount of blood that came out of him it was oh yeah definitely an eye opener for me yeah those liver shots are deadly man um so now now you just you just hit another deer. Now what's going through your head? Shit, I got to get these out of here. <laughs> <laughs> it's all it's all fun until you actually got to do the work to get the you know to get them out. Uh, so, did you make any phone calls? Did you text a buddy? Did you back out? Did you go track? So I waited about twenty minutes. So I shot that deer at seven o'clock so a half hour after the first one and um i waited 20 minutes and i watched this deer walk off and i'm like all right i'm gonna i'm gonna get down i'm gonna go check this arrow and then i'm gonna back out and my bow was already on the ground and i went to take my first step off and i looked behind me in one of my shooting lanes and there is the second biggest deer i've ever seen in my entire life sitting 30 yards and that's the reason why I'm probably going to start running trail cameras next year. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. So you got down and you saw another big deer. I wasn't even down. I was still in my stand. I just took my foot off my platform and I just was in awe. Was he, did he come by in shooting range? Yeah, he was 30 yards. Oh, yeah. man. Oh, it killed me. Oh, killed my me. God. Just imagine if one of those other deer didn't come through. Do you think about that? <laughs> yeah, oh, every every day, like I don't know, every couple hours. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you this. I've I don't know if I've ever had a scenario where I shot a deer and then another bigger deer came by while I'm letting the other one die. I don't know if yeah, I've ever. Yeah, it's not a good feeling. You no, know, I I've, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever had that. So, um, I can see how a guy would. You know, I don't know. It, 
some guys, I would say, who would give in to temptation would be like, oh, jeez, let me go shoot that one too and then not tag the other one that I just shot, you know. Uh, so kudos to you for just w- letting it walk by. Yeah, I actually um, got to, you know, look at it real closely with my binoculars, and I, I think it's the same one I missed two times in a row. The deer just haunts me. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. So it's not meant to be. Maybe he'll ma- – like, if it's two years in a row – uh, maybe he'll survive this year again, and uh, now you got a, a, another bigger caliber deer next year to hunt. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. Yeah. All right. So, anything crazy with the track jobs, or, or were they fairly easy? Um. So yeah, but and that's partially my fault. Um. So me and my friend got back there. We let that buck sit for about five hours. So it was about midnight by the time we got back there. And uh, I'm like, all right, you know, this is where the first – I shot the first year. We'll start tracking right here. And I thought I got a pasture, so I thought there's going to be a, a ton of blood. So we start tracking it, and there's, like, good blood. And it ends up on the same trail as I watched that eight-point go on. So we keep following blood, and it just turns into drips and drips. And then my friend's like a bloodhound just – he was up ahead of me and he ended up finding the deer and I came up to it and it was, it was a liver shot deer. I'm like, this isn't even the, the right deer, <laughs> but I was very excited because I thought that was going to be the more difficult one. Right. And so you, you guys, you guys went back after the deer were, uh, you know, you gave them some time. You found the liver, the, the second deer first. Yep. Okay. And how much further after that was your first deer? So we ended up having to backtrack and it took us a while to figure it out. Cause I, when I picked my head up, you know, I didn't pay, I didn't see those first 20 yards that eight point went. So I mistaken his blood for the first one's blood, but we ended up, we ended up having a grid search actually right about like two hours later. And then, uh, I found him about the wide nine. He was 40 yards away and he didn't bleed a drop of blood dang i've had that happen I'd, i've double lunged uh, a buck before and his front leg his front leg was forward his back leg was back and then i shot him and then as they run away that skin goes over the wound and all the blood mm-hmm. was in, internal right there was hardly any external blood and plus it was in crp so um, that deer, oh, okay. you know, know what I mean? It, that's hard to track in there anyway. So, yeah. um, you, at least you found him though. Uh, now talk to us a little bit about what these deer look like from a, you know, we're here talking with words and no one can see what's, yeah. uh, what talk about this wide nine. What do you think? How old he was? What do you think he roughly scores? And then talk about number two as well. So the wide nine, I, I, I think he's a three and a half year old deer. Um, definitely the biggest deer I've ever shot. He has a 18 and a half inch side inside spread. Um, I'd say his G twos and G threes are both right around seven inches. Okay. I, I never put any tape on him. My, my actually, uh, my buddy's dad, who is a butcher, he actually measured the inside spread and told me. So, um, all I know is my biggest deer, and I think he's probably right around a one thirty-five. Okay, I would. If I'm guessing, I'm not like great at guessing, you know, numbers for deer, but I, I think he's right around there. One thirty-five. All right, and age yeah. class wise, 
Yeah, uh, at three and a half. Three and a half. Okay. And then the second deer. Uh, the second deer was a two and a half year old. Uh, like I said before, I've shot, I've shot three, three or four of these like same size bucks, and he's uh, I think he was fourteen and a half inside spread, and he's kind of a little bit taller. Uh, he's probably only like 115, 120 inch deer, maybe somewhere in there, if I was to guess. Okay. Okay. Well, that's awesome, man. Uh, and you got him and, and was dragging them out easy or hard as hell? Oh gosh. So I, so the first one died by the river and, you know, they typically do that with the liver shots and, um, so we drug the wide nine into the river with them and we put them in the river so they could cool and snap a few photos. And, uh, we had them in the river and I wanted to cut them and pack, pack them out. Cause it's well over a mile. And my friend who, I don't know if he just loves pain or what, but he's like, well, we got them in the river. They're floating. He's like, might as well just drag them out through the river. And I've done it before. And I'm like, it's not, that fun <laughs> right we did it it took us about three hours but we got them damn so did each of you grab a deer or did you like use ropes or 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 were you able to actually float them a little bit so we each grabbed a deer uh we my buddy had a contractor bag on him and he he tied that around his horns the smaller one and drug him out i mean shout out to contractor bags i couldn't believe the thing held up but, uh, yeah, and we just dragged them out. I'd say, you know, halfway to three-quarters of the way the deer would float, but you would run into rapids where the water's real shallow, and that's where it kicked our butts. Gotcha. Okay. Well, dude, doubled up opening day in Michigan. That's a feat of, of its own. Uh, congratulations on uh, slaying the beast, my friend. Hey, thank you. Really appreciate that, and I appreciate you having me on here. This is this is awesome that you do this for guys. This is it's really cool. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, you got to see how everybody else lives, right? Because I'm skewed. I live in Iowa, so what like where I hunt and how I hunt is completely different than what everybody else does. And then at, yeah. the, at the, you know at the same time, um, the the regular Joes of the world, right? I mean, I I, I feel like I feel like I kind of came from that. You know how I how I started hunting and things like that. I, I feel like I'm I'm lucky now to where I don't have to worry about paid vacation or a job that uh, limits my time in the woods, so to speak. I, I have a little bit more flexibility than I, th- I think the other guys have. So I I feel it's definitely important for regular people to share their stories and and what and I do that because it's relatable, right? I mean, yeah. There's not guys from a relatable standpoint. People aren't just going. Hey, like I sat over my 80 acre food plot tonight. Like who gets to do that? Right. And, and someday maybe I'll be able to do that, but I I just, that's not relatable to me. So I love listening to stories like what you told today. And uh, I get, I get a real kick out of that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Yeah. Again, I appreciate it. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Kevin. Congrats on doubling up on opening day. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time to listen to this episode. Really appreciate it. Huge shout out to Tethered, Wasp, Hunt Stand, and Vortex, the companies that support this podcast. Really appreciate it. And last but not least, please go to iTunes. 
please leave a, a five-star review on the Nine Finger Chronicles. I would really appreciate that and let everybody know how badass this podcast is, man. And uh, good luck out there. You know, I talk about the good vibes all the time. Definitely throw those good vibes out. They'll come back to you in some way, shape, or form. And uh, I'll tell you this, man. I, uh, I'm i jacked for the next four weeks of hunting because it's it doesn't, you know, unless you're in the south or you have some weird rut, this is the time to start focusing on on hunting and uh i love every minute of this stuff man so good vibes in good vibes out and the most important thing is to wear your damn safety harness all right no second guessing if you forget it go get it safety harnesses save lives go do that and good luck